Greetings, church. I pray you had an amazing Christmas. And in advance, I'd like to greet you a blessed new year. This is the last message of our series, Be Rooted by Knowing God by His Names. I hope the series has been a blessing to you, your family, your friends. You know, during this season, as the year comes to a close, I know one of the things we are looking for most is peace. In fact, there's a story in 1914 during World War where soldiers unofficially took a truce or had a truce because it was Christmas time. Peace is something the world looks for. Peace is something the world longs for. It's been very challenging this season. We know with covid with all the stuff that's gone on, so much can take our peace away. In fact, it doesn't take a lot to take our peace away. It could be something so small as what happened to me on my way here to prepare this message. I couldn't find my wedding ring. And my wife and I were rummaging through the house, but I was stressed because I was late for the recording. And I'm thinking, I need to get here in time. So just that small event caused so much strain and stress. And I was thinking, did I leave it somewhere where I was traveling? Will I ever find my ring again? It could be big events. I was in the hospital waiting for my outpatient surgery and the nurse came in to take my blood pressure. And it was 140 something, 143 over something. And the nurse asked me, do you have a history of high blood pressure? I didn't know that. So I started to worry. I started to ask myself, did I get sick over COVID? Something bigger, something more, something more dangerous? So I told the nurse, come back in, in five minutes. And I tried to rest and relax. So I was thinking if I breathe slowly, it might help. So I was, <gasps> and the nurse came back five minutes later. What do you think happened? It went up, it went to 148. So then I got more nervous and anxious and I asked the nurse to come back again and I tried to just calm myself. And when the nurse came back, it was 165. And I thought, what is wrong with me? So I said, please check it right now, again. And she checked it on the other arm and was 180 something. At that point, I was so stressed. And the doctor came in and said, you know what? We'll see, we, we don't know if we can do the surgery. I'll tell you what happened if you hang in with me till the later part of the message. What is my point? It doesn't take a lot to, to, to take our peace away. And I know no one during this time wants to fight with their spouse. No one wants to worry about health. No one wants to worry about finances or making payroll. But COVID has made it very hard for us not to feel stress. All the problems that have gone on in the world, you don't have to look far. I'm sure you have family members, friends, where you feel like your peace has been taken away. That's why this message is so near and dear to my heart because the name of God that I have the privilege in sharing with you is Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. I'm going to tell you more of what that means. But this name is first given to God by Gideon in Judges chapter 6. 
If you look at the verse, Judges 6.24, it says, Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. Before I explain the story leading up to that verse, I want to give you a little bit of a background on the book of Judges. When we think about the book of Judges, often what comes to mind is the Sunday school stories we've heard about, like Samson, Deborah, Gideon. But the truth is the book of Judges tells a, a tragedy because in the book, as it ends, it tells us in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There is a cycle called the cycle of the judges, which gives us an overview of what happened throughout the book again and again. If you look at this cycle, there's a period of peace under the judge, but then the people somehow turn from God. And then God judges them by delivering them over to their enemies. And then the people under oppression and difficulty turn back to God and then God, in his mercy and kindness, sends a judge to deliver and rescue them. And there's peace. But then the cycle happens again and again and again. If you read the book of Judges with this cycle in mind, you will see that pattern repeating. It gets worse and worse. It doesn't get like they improve. So if we look at Judges chapter 6, Verse 1, at the beginning of the story where God is called Yahweh Shalom, we start at the beginning of a cycle. It says, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. Notice, it begins with the people doing evil, and therefore God judging them by delivering them to their enemies. But the question here that I want to ask you, and I want us to ask ourselves, why did they forget? Or how did they forget? Because we think, surely, how will people forget such a wonderful, awesome, loving God? The stories of how God saved them, which we know about, right? The plagues in Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, you know, when Moses parted the waters. Imagine those miracles. The walls of Jericho, we, we tell these stories. These people didn't just hear them as stories, but their parents told them, this happened to us or our fathers. The amazing victories that happened again and again, the water from the rock, manna from heaven, the quail all over the ground, these miracles. And we ask ourselves, how can they forget? But is it so hard to imagine? Because do you notice that even in our lives sometimes, after all God has done, sometimes we forget. But I'll show you how they forgot. And if we go earlier in Judges chapter 1, verse 27 to 33, it tells us, see, they were supposed to conquer the land completely. They were supposed to drive out all the inhabitants and take it all over. But it tells us that even though Joshua told them this and they promised to follow God, did they follow him completely? Judges 1, 27 says up to 33, But Manasseh did not take possession of Beth Shean and its villages. So the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. It came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor. 
But notice this. But they did not drive them out completely. And then, not just them, Ephraim did not, Zebulun did not, Asher did not, Naphtali did not. All of them did not follow God completely. Do we ever become guilty of partial obedience as well? Sometimes we think partial obedience is good enough, but partial obedience is actually disobedience. And we can see the results of this partial obedience. In Psalm 106, verse 34 to 40, the Bible tells us what happened to the people. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. Notice, they enslaved them, they, they conquered them, but they didn't destroy them. And so what happened? This compromise, this partial obedience, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. Can you imagine that? These people of God, somehow as a result of those compromise offering their children a sacrifice to demons. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. So the question for you and me is this. Are we guilty of compromise? Do we sometimes mingle or embrace the value system of this world? Do we think, you know, God understands. It's good enough. And I'm not calling us to be legalistic. But with ourselves, when God calls us to something and it's clear, do we compromise? Do you compromise? Notice the danger. It is deadly. Partial obedience is disobedience. So we see the result in Judges 2, 10 to 12. It's really sad. It says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And what happened? There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. It doesn't say they, you know, they knew God a little. It says they did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. You know, parents, if we're not careful, ask ourselves, could this happen in our family? Could it be that if we do not disciple our children or let them personally experience Jesus after our generation, they will rise up and they will not know the Lord. This is a burden I worry about for my children. I want them to know the Lord. Remember, Christianity is not inherited. It is something that each person must learn themselves. Each person must develop that relationship with Jesus on their own. You cannot become a Christian by virtue of your parents. How do we forget? If I sum up some of the things we talked about, if you look here, it's just, again, small compromises or partial obedience or trusting in God plus. This is called syncretism where we think, I'm going to believe in God but I'm also going to add something else. You know, in the time of, of the judges, this happened over time. So imagine this year there's no rain and there's a famine. 
and you're praying to the God of your fathers, but you don't know him personally. And then you look at your neighbors, the Midianites, or you know some of the peoples in the land, and they're praying to Baal. And you think, well, maybe I should pray to Baal also. Why not add all the gods in? Let's make sure. Isama na natin lahat. Let's worship every god so that if one of them is right, I got it. But you know, God doesn't want that. He's either the only God or he's not God. So the, what happened to these people, you know, you could imagine they start praying to Baal and then one year it rains and they think, you know what? Baal also answers prayers. So I share this because we think that will never happen to me. But if we start to open ourselves to compromise, if we start to have partial obedience, little by little over time, it can happen to us. We hear stories again and again of pastors, right? In the Christian community and we're disappointed. How did they fall? How did they stumble? I promise you they didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to stumble today. It happened slowly over time. A little, a little slip, a little slumber, a little compromise here. It's like losing a ring. You don't remember when it fell off your hand. You just know one day you're looking and it's gone. You know, I experienced this in my own life over COVID. Now, I'm going to share about gaming. And all of you gamers out there, don't feel like I'm telling you you cannot play games. Video games, computer games. It's actually like the whole world is going in that direction. But for me, what happened to me is interesting because I tend to have a tendency to turn gaming into an idol. So what happened to me is when COVID started, I had some spare time. And when I'm bored, I look for something to stimulate my mind. And I'm not a Netflix person. I don't really watch a lot of TV, but I like the stimulation I get from games. So I started playing a small game here, like Arena of Valor or something like that, or Mobile Legends. And my wife started to notice it. But I told her, "Hun, games are not bad. You know, 80% of the world games, the average age of gamers is my age or a little younger, but it's okay. So she didn't like it. So she would complain and talk to me lovingly. She said, I'm worried about you. This might happen. You might become addicted. I said, don't worry about me. Worry about yourself. <laughs> what happened? I started to play more than I should. I didn't tell her. And then one day I spent a microtransaction multiple times. And my wife, loving wife, as we were having a discussion one night, looked me in the eyes and said, did you spend any money on the, on the games? You promised you wouldn't. I looked her in the eyes and I thought to myself, if I tell her I did, I have to quit. But see, this is what's shocking. By that point, I didn't want to let go of the game anymore. So I looked at her and said, I didn't spend money. What did I do? I had used Apple credits. So I was intentionally misleading her by saying I didn't spend money. But in my heart, I knew that I had spent money because I had used money to buy the Apple credits. So I deceived her because I didn't want to let go. I'm embarrassed to share this with you. It's not something I'm proud of. It's like you're probably thinking, look at Peter Jr. He repeats the same mistakes again and again, and I admit, sometimes I am like the Israelites. 
I am like those people. And God, when I, when I lied to my wife, there was no peace in my heart. So I'm going to st stop there for a bit and tell you how the story ends later. But the point being, it's not as hard as you think to stumble if we're not careful, if we do not guard our hearts. And so what happens when we stumble? When the Israelites stumbled, what happened? In Judges chapter 6, verse 2, it says the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So they tried to hide. Let me ask you, when we face challenges because of things that are happening in our life, what's the first thing we do? Are we like the Israelites? The first thing we do, we try to make it work. You know, they dug up places to hide. Do we try to solve things on our own first? Or do we go to God? You notice it says nothing about them going to God. Only later in verse 6. So if you read verse 3, 4, 5, it talks about how they were ravaged, how everything was taken. Then finally in verse 6. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And what did they do? And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. So at the end... You know, it says seven years when, when they were at the end of their ropes, they cry out to God. Sometimes people wait until the very end. Why? I looked at my own life. Why did I not cry out to God when I started having an issue with gaming my wife and hiding the truth from her? Because I didn't want to let go of my sin. So many times the reason we don't cry out to God is because we don't want to make right with God. We, we want to keep our own way. Sugar-coated poison, right? We like the poison. It tastes good, so we keep eating it. That's why I did not want to fix. Now, I'm not saying when you don't cry out to God, it's because you have sin. But sometimes that's the reason we wait. We don't want to tell anyone. We want to hide in our, in our little place where we know we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. So the Israelites finally cry out. We are looking at the cycle of the judges and we are at this place where God judges them and the people finally cry out to God. What happens? It came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you out from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. Notice God's reminding them, it was me and from the hands of your oppressors and disposed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in the land you live in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Notice when they cried out to God, he didn't first rescue them. His first goal was to show them the real problem. Sometimes God waits. Have you cried out to God recently? And is he not delivering you yet or doing what you expect? Sometimes God is working because he wants you to learn something else first. In this case, he wanted the Israelites to know their problem more than the Midianites was their own sin. 
So what happens? Once he let them know, we now go to Judges 6, verse 11 to 12. It says, Then the angel of the Lord, and we know that refers to Jesus Christ. My brother talked about that a few weeks ago when he talked about uh, Elroy. When, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar. Do you remember that? I love that message. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Ibizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I want you to notice one thing, or two things. First, Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. What does that mean? Wheat is normally beaten out in the field. In the Philippines, when we drive and we see people putting out palay in the roads, that's, you know, you need the heat of the sun. But what, they, what he was doing, he was beating it out in a wine press. Why? He was hiding from the Midianites. And the wine press is somewhere where they can't see you. So he was hiding, but what did God say? The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. What's special about this? You know, God does not look at who we are, but who we can be in Him. So I challenge you, you know, you may think you're not special. And it's true. Without God, we're not. But in Him, we can be valiant warriors. So God saw Gideon for who he could be. And then God challenged him to, he said, you will deliver you will deliver Israel. Because Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, how come this is all happening? So Gideon's asking God an honest question. Why is it like you've abandoned us? And then God says, you deliver Israel. And this is what he answers. He says, oh Lord, in verse 15 and 16, how shall I deliver Israel? My family is the least of Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. The one thing I think is really worth highlighting here is one, Gideon is the youngest of the least. It's true. But what God saw in him was that God said, I will be with you. So it doesn't matter how low you are. When God is with you, he called Gideon to be a deliverer. Is the Lord with us? Do we realize that God wants to be with us? Will we let him partner with us or lead us actually? So what happened? In 17 and 18, so Gideon said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks to me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. I want to highlight that Gideon was testing God in a sense. He was, you know, is it really you, Lord? God did not say, how dare you test me? What did God say? I will wait. I will remain until you return. This wasn't a short wait. They had no microwaves then. Gideon was preparing meat and unleavened bread. He probably had to cook the meat fresh. So, so the angel of the Lord waited. And when he came back, Gideon offered it. And the angel of the Lord told him where to put it. And this is what he did. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. 
and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Notice, this was the angel of the Lord and he consumed the offering with fire. He was patient with Gideon. You know, God is so patient with us. Sometimes, sometimes I think we're afraid to tell God or be honest with God because we think surely God will be upset this time around. The Bible tells us God is a patient God. And it's the patient, uh, patience of God that leads us to repentance. You know, I will testify, God is a patient God. And I pray we will never be afraid of coming to God in honesty because he is patient. And when Gideon brought the offering and God consumed it, guess what happened? Gideon got scared. He said in verse 22 to 23, when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, alas, O Lord, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. So God is the first one who said, shalom. God is the one who said, peace to you. It's very interesting because in the Old Testament, God told Moses, you cannot see me and live. So Gideon should have died, but God said, peace be to you. You shall not die. Do not fear. So Gideon was fearful. God told him not to be afraid. God said, peace be to you. And God told him he will not die. I pray that as you talk to God, you realize God wants you to experience his peace. This is where Gideon and the verse I started at the beginning, this takes us to where we started. In verse 24, when Gideon received peace from God, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it the Lord is peace. It's similar to the story of Hagar. When she saw the one who saw her, she said, the Lord sees. When Gideon experienced peace from the one who gives peace, Gideon then said, the Lord is peace. He built an altar and to this day it is still in Oprah of the Abizrites. What, is, what do I want to tell you? Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Yahweh is the personal name of God. He wants to have a relationship. Shalom means peace. When we think of peace, often we think of the absence of conflict. I want to have peace. But when God uses the word shalom in the Hebrew language, it means so much more. What does shalom mean? First, all of God's blessings producing a sense of well-being. Second, complete, fulfilled, a state of wholeness. Third, unity and restored relationships. The way things ought to be. This, this word shalom means so much more than no fighting. It means things are the way they ought to be. Isn't this what we long for? When you lie down at night and you, you sigh in your bed and you just think everything is where it ought to be. Nothing is out of place in my life. And that is what God offers us. Look at this verse. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. This is Psalm 35, 27. And let them say continually, 
The Lord be magnified who delights, notice this, the Lord delights in what? In the shalom of his servant. The word prosperity here is shalom. Again, he delights in the well-being of his people. You know, God wants you, wants me to have peace, to have shalom. But why is it so hard to experience this? Because of sin. And we see that from the story in Judges. The world is rife with sin. The world has turned its back against the Lord. And so God's judgment, you know, the sickness of, in the world, all of that is here. Yes, we'll learn later on that God has redeemed through Christ. But the reason there's so much suffering, let's not mis get mistaken, it's not because God is trying to cause suffering on the world. It's because we, the world, have chosen to turn our backs on God. So the cycle of the judges is something that happens in our world, in our lives. And what did God do? God sent a judge to rescue the people. So I'm going to share the story of the rescue really briefly as we wrap up. In Judges 6.25, what did God tell Gideon? That night, after Gideon made the altar and said, the Lord is peace, in the same night, notice, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. God wanted Gideon to know, before I will use you to deliver the people, you cannot have Baal in your own backyard. You've got to get rid of this thing that's in your father's house. So before God wanted Gideon, he wanted completely no altar to any other God in Gideon's family. So what did God tell him? Build an altar to the Lord your God on top. Notice this, on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. It's interesting. God said, take this altar, tear it down, and then use the parts. Build on top of it an altar to me. Use the wood and burn it to offer a sacrifice to me. You know, I thought about this again and again, and it makes sense. And if you think about it this way, the idols in your life that God wants you to take out for him can be, what's the word here? Stepping stones for you to worship him. Let me explain this. Let's say a woman has a husband who is difficult to live with or vice versa. And so there's an idol in her heart. Lord, I just want this man to change. So she's so mad at him every day. Remember what my dad shared uh, the other week, last week? God looks at your life and wants you to remove the idols or he wants to remove the idols in your life because only God can do that with us, for us. What does God do? If something causes you to anger, it might be an idol. It's probably an idol. So this woman or this man who's so stressed about their spouse, the example I'm giving you, every time their spouse does something annoying, they can use that as an opportunity to worship God. That's how you tear down an altar and build on top of it and worship the Lord. So every time, for example, if it's me, every time my wife makes me angry, instead of getting angry, I tell the Lord, I will worship you by not getting angry. So you take an idol and you turn it around for good. 
Gaming. Every time I'm tempted to game and I know I shouldn't make that an idol again, what will I do? I will tell the Lord, because I love you, this laying down of this idol will be my worship to you. So in your life, whatever is your idol, you can use it to glorify God, not by, by worshiping the idol, by not worshiping it. So that's what I think Gideon was taught to do here. You can turn it into an opportunity to worship God. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord spoke to him. Notice Gideon took 10 men and because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city, he did it by night. Now, I just want to encourage you. God did not begrudge Gideon for being afraid. God did not say, oh, you did it at night. You're fearful. No, Gideon did it and he did it that day. And that's what mattered, even if he was afraid. So sometimes when you obey God and your emotions are all messed up and you're worried and stressed, God still sees that and says, you're obeying me and that's what matters. So God protects Gideon. I don't have the verses here, but the people want to attack him and kill him and his father defends him. And then what happens? In verse 34, after the, the enemies come again, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew a trumpet and the Abizarites were called together to follow him. It's amazing. So many men came together. In Judges 7, we see that there were so many men that God says, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. You notice in the verse before, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. From this point on, God is the one working through Gideon. And God wants to make sure when he delivers them, the people know it's not because you had 32,000 men. So from 32,000 men, God says, if you're afraid, go home. They have 10,000. And then all those who drink a certain way, go home. We'll just keep these. 300 remain. These 300, this is a miracle. Defeat 135,000 enemies. 300 versus 135,000. Only God can do that. It's an amazing deliverance. This is the God we serve. This is the God who brings peace. There is nothing too difficult for him. And he wants us to know that in our lives. It's amazing. It's a dramatic victory. But can you guess what happened? We're talking about the cycle of the judges. So they have a period of peace. And then... When Gideon dies, in verse 32, it says, And Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a ripe old age. And what happened? And was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Oprah of the Abizrites. He went back home. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Berith their god. Notice, they went back. Thus, the sons of Israel did not remember, this is so sad, the Lord. It's that same generation did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. You know, how do we avoid this? Before we judge the Israelites, we have to understand, if we're not careful, we can be like them. We must humbly understand that we have a propensity for forgetting God when times are good, when no one is watching. Have you ever done this? 
Have you ever experienced a time where you've forgotten the Lord? I shared with you, right? I did. It doesn't take much. But we know that God is peace. Yahweh Shalom. God doesn't want us to continue down that road. So what, what do we do? How do we break the cycle of the judges in our own lives? I want to read with you as I close a few verses. Romans 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified, this means made right, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction, notice how, by faith, into this grace in which we stand and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. You know what? How do we break the cycle? I have news for you. We don't break the cycle. Only by the cross is the cycle broken. Only by the cross of Christ do we have peace with God that will never be taken away. That is why that verse said, it is by faith through Christ. I want you to see another verse here. Look at this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Unlike the people in Gideon's time, whose nature remained as it was, so they would go back again and again, the Bible tells us if we are in Christ, we are new. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, notice, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So how do we break the cycle of the judges? When we remember the cross, when we look to the cross in faith, look to Jesus in faith. What does that mean? It means we cannot work our way out of the cycle. We cannot work our way to peace with God. Only God can do it. Our part is to trust. When I think of the word trust, the most tangible word that I think of in my life is for me to trust means to surrender. Because often my will wants to do it my way. But for me to trust that God is there, that Jesus died on the cross, so that I could be made right with God, so that I can have peace with God. For me, trust means surrendering my will, my way, and saying, Lord, your will, your way, it is you who will make me right. And so I trust. And so let me show you a, a few verses that highlight this. Look at this. Isaiah 26, 3-4. The steadfast mind you will keep in perfect peace. This is Shalom. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Do you trust in the Lord? Have you surrendered to him? Trust in the Lord. What else can we do to never forget? To never take our eyes off the cross? Those who love your law have great peace. Notice that. Those who love your law 
in Psalm 119, 165, they have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Do you love the law of the Lord? That is God's word. Do you love it? Do you cherish it? You know, it's sometimes hard to, you know, it's easy to just read it um, because you feel you have to, but do you love it? If you don't love it, if you don't cherish it, I've got news for you. Ask God. That's what it means to call on the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to cherish your word. Will you help me cherish it? You know, God always answers a prayer that is aligned with his word, with his desire. As we wrap up the year, you know, this is, this is the season when we're supposed to have peace. Yet this is the season where COVID has brought a lack of peace. I want to encourage you. This verse says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't do it. And so we might as well stop trying to do it. Let's surrender and let God do it by obeying and loving Him. I really believe when you know and have experienced God's grace and peace, it's harder to, to, to want to go against Him and lose that peace. So let me tell you how the story ends in my life with that battle I had. So I was biking and I would go to the gate, the gate of our subdivision, I was gonna tell you the gate, to pick up our packages. And every time I would do it, I promise, every time, while I hadn't confessed to my wife what happened, God's, God's presence would weigh on me. I would have no peace. I was so stressed. I kept thinking, Lord, I can't. I can't tell her the truth. She'll, she might be upset. And then I have to tell my family. I'll be so embarrassed. So I thought, Lord, I'll wait 10 years, maybe three years. And then I'll tell a story three years from now. You know, there was a time... Years ago, hon, I, I did something. I didn't tell you the truth, but I've repented and fixed my ways, but God didn't want that. And so night in and night out, when I would swim, all I could think of when I was swimming laps, I had no peace. When I tried to pray, I had no peace. And you know what happened during the season? This is the grace of God. I developed a cyst on my uh, lower back and it got infected twice. And every time I would pray for the infection and the cyst, I didn't feel comfort because God would tell me, you're so worried about a physical cyst. What about the spiritual cyst that's growing in your heart? This truth that you have hidden from your wife that you're not telling her because you're afraid of the consequences. You're afraid of what's going to happen. You're afraid she'll tell you to stop gaming. You're afraid that you're going to have to give it up. So what if you have to give it up? Am I worth more to you than that. And I would read in the Bible, you know, I think God's grace is I kept reading his word, even though I had a hard time. I kept praying, even though my broken prayer was just, Lord, how do I do this? God impressed on my heart when I would read about the kings who kept sinning, you don't want to be like them. And so one day, on my way back from delivering a package, <laughs> our own package, picking it up, I told my wife, can you sit down? I need to show you something, talk to you about something. I read her three verses on forgiveness. Why? I was hoping she would hear the verses and think, oh, I have to forgive him because then I told her, honey, let me tell you what I did. And sure enough, she, she you know, 
I told her, I, I think I cannot play again for a, a while, if not forever. And I told my family, I made right with my wife, but first I made right with God. And you know, the peace of God flooded my heart again. And so when I go back to the hospital, that's why I was in the hospital. When I was in the hospital and my blood pressure was now 180, even though I was stressed about it, I had nothing between me and God. And the Bible says the peace of God transcends all understanding. So I prayed. And when the nurse came back, it was 140 again. And uh, they said, let's do the operation. And on the operation table, as they were cutting out the cyst, I told the Lord, Lord, help me to, to be healthier. Guide me. I'm sorry, uh, you know, if I've been unhealthy. Will you heal me? And I went home that day, got a blood pressure tester, and I tested myself, and I was normal. I don't know what happened, how my blood pressure went from 180 to normal, but I do know this. There is a peace that I experience from making right with God, from telling my wife the truth, even though I was afraid to, like Gideon, but God said, I will take care of it. You do what's right. And that peace, I don't ever want to lose again. So please keep praying for us, right? It, you know, it, it's hard sometimes. And pray for yourselves, your family. And remember this verse, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You know, it is God that will help me stay faithful. And that's my prayer. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for you is that you will have peace, a peace that cannot be taken away by circumstances because in your heart, you know that you are right with God. And when you are right with God, even if everything falls apart, God says, I got you. You will see me someday, even if the worst thing possible happens, death. God says, I will see you. You will be with me. We have peace with God. So I pray that this Christmas and New Year season, you have peace that can only come from Yahweh Shalom. And that is through Jesus Christ. So there are three people in this audience that I'm talking to. Some of you have no peace and have not experienced this peace that transcends all understanding. You want to break out of the cycle of the judges where we turn away from God. The way forward is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Surrender to him. Some of you have surrendered to him and you've had peace before, but there is something bothering you today. There is a lack of peace in your heart and chances are it could be circumstances. Many times it has to do with something that's happened in your heart. There's an idol that's there. Maybe it's the circumstance that's become an idol. Maybe there's something you've taken back that you gave to God. God wants you to tear that altar down and build an altar to Him alone in your heart. And the third is those of you who have given your lives to Christ completely and you have that peace, God calls us to be ministers of reconciliation. We read that verse earlier we have the ministry of reconciliation. So go be a peacemaker by pointing people to Jesus. Everyone, it has been a privilege to be part of the last message of the year. May Yahweh 
be your peace. And I would like to close by praying for all of us. Let us bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray that we will be rooted in you by knowing who you are. You are Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who has never had that peace, will you please speak to them? And if that, this is you, will you pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I need you. I have turned away from you in my life, but I want to turn back to you. And I realize it is only possible through Jesus Christ. Will you be my peace? Will you save me? Will you be my deliverer? Jesus Christ, I need you. Thank you for being my Savior. Will you be my Lord as well? Lord, I pray for those who had peace but are, have lost it a little because maybe there's an idol. Will you help them to tear down that idol? Or will you tear it down for them that they may rebuild an altar to you alone? And now, Lord, for those of us who have peace and have not lost it, will you help us to always remember to keep our eyes on you on the cross, and to be peacemakers to others. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate you this Christmas season because you came to die for us. We have peace. That's why Christmas is so special. It reminds us of you. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, I want to pray for everyone. I want to bless them as we end the year. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and turn his face to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Church, if you've been blessed by this message, if you have any questions, if you want someone to talk to, please chat with us. There's a place down there you can click on. Or if you want to share this message with your family and friends so that they can experience shalom through Jesus Christ, please share it. We have some discussion questions for you to follow. I hope you have a wonderful time with your family as you go through the discussion questions. Stay tuned for the fast track. After the discussion questions, we will have some questions that will be answered. Hope to see you there.